As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Premier League Match Day 5. Pack it up, pack it in, let me begin. What happens when Man City visit the Hammers, House of Pain? Plus, Swindon, they came to get down. Man United, Brighton and Arsenal, when your bogeys are toffees. Plus, plus, the Premier League's most popular surname, Scotland, England, Richarlison and how many is too many exclamation marks? It's the Totally Football Show. Thursday the 14th of September. Hello, listener. Here we are in the studio with Charlie Eccleshare of The Athletic. Hello, Jimbo. Natalie Jedra of ESPN Brazil. Bon dia. Bon dia. And Benji Lanyado, CEO of Pickfair. It is CEO, isn't it? Benji? Yeah, sure. All right. Bon dia. <laughs> bon dia. How was that? Or yeah, what should we good. say? 10 out of 10. Era Rosh Hashanah. Ah, yeah. yeah sort of. Yeah, yeah. It's about to be the year five, seven, eight, four. Sounds about or right. Three, maybe it's three. In that sort of ballpark here. Yeah. But who's counting? Who's counting? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of numbers. <laughs> Certainly are. Certainly are. Everyone have a uh, Natalie. We haven't spoken to you, I think, since a fateful night in Qatar. Oh my God! Yes, that's yeah. true. Yes, no, it's been long. Yeah, just a lot of work. Not nothing. A lot of work. Yeah, nothing changed much. <laughs> okay, well that's yes. good. Yes. Uh, have you good. enjoyed the start of this season? Yes. So a lot of work again. Right. <laughs> yes. No, went to Australia, got back straight to the Premier League. Oh, you went to the Women's World Cup. Yes, Fantastic. yes, I did. Yeah, it was amazing. So much to talk about. Yes. Good. Excellent. Have you been busy, Charlie? We've seen you more recently, of yeah, course. Yeah. Uh, I was off last week in nice. south of France, which was lovely. South of France, was it? Yeah, yeah. Près d'Avignon. Ah, nice. Uh, did you do the train or you fly? No, we flew to Montpellier and then drove down from there. Oh, wicked. Nice. It was great, yeah. It was just after the... Transfer deadline had closed, so right. it had been a crazy month, so it was nice to unwind. You and Europe's agents just yeah, signing exactly. on the yeah. Cote d'Azur, yeah. Very much so. <laughs> Magnificent. And Benji, all good with Pickfair, the number one picture. Yeah. How would you describe it? It's, it's, uh, it's Squarespace for photographers. This is fantastic. So, there I was 10 years ago with a thought and a dream. Uh, no, with, uh, with 900,000 photographers and you should join them. When you gave yourself that CEO title, <laughs> did you 
There's that Homer Simpson bit where he goes, where he gives himself the title of vice president and then corrects to junior vice president. I was, I think, I had, you have to choose a title, but I, but I was the only employee. Um, so it did feel slightly weird. Grand vizier. Yeah, that would have been better. Faith leader. No. CEO. <laughs> Spiritual leader. Do you have any pictures of Pre d'Avignon in your Thousands. Library? Probably tens of thousands. I bet you haven't got Beautiful any. Beautiful like... pictures. Yeah? Yeah, Okay, because Charlie's just, you know. Could add some in. Load them in. I bet it's really easy to load them in, isn't it? Oh my God, you wouldn't believe how speedy our technology is. And then start. You could set up your store, charlieeccleshare.pickfair.com. Show off your lovely pictures to all your friends. Logistics, you say? Well, that's covered by Pickfair. Uh, printing. I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> this, is, this is my dream. I mean, it is all going to get cut, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, um. listener. <laughs> I know you're enjoying that, but I want to move on to what's coming up this weekend with uh, what we're calling Premier League Match Day 5. Premier League. The situation. City are in the lead, but four teams are snapping at their heels, just two points behind. That's Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal and West Ham, who face City this weekend at the London Stadium. Woo! Brighton, who are one point further back, host Man United. Meanwhile, United are down in 11th place. They're one of three big underperformers from the early rounds, alongside Chelsea in 12th place and Newcastle, who are down in 14th place after three straight defeats. Newcastle will be hosting Brentford on Saturday, whilst Chelsea the following day are up against Bournemouth. Down at the bottom, Sheffield United and Everton lie either side of that dotted line, both on one point. The bottom two are Luton Town and Burnley, both yet to record a point, but both with a game in hand. We're going to begin in East London. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Possibly the big game of this weekend, invisible to UK audiences, but, you know, if you're somewhere else in the world, tune in when three o'clock at the London Stadium, West Ham host Man City. Natalie, you're actually going to go there, aren't you? Yes, I'll be there. Uh, and probably, will Pep be there as well after his back surgery? Yes, he went back to training the team. Okay. Uh, so, so he's back in England. He looks healthy, fit, and yes, he's ready to go. He has never lost against West Ham. Is that right, Benji? Apart from a, a Carabao Cup penalty shootout, which not technically a defeat, etc. and so on. Sounds about right, yeah, but in how, the league. But how optimistic are you? I'm quite excited, actually. I think this is going to be City's hardest game of the season so far. I mean, it's an admittedly young season. I just think that West Ham are, like, sculpted into a team made to play against Man City. Ooh. So, I mean, we've already sort of played a Man City-shaped team this year in Brighton, who had, what, 87%... Possession and we smashed them three 0 So I think it's unlikely that we'll get anything from City because we rarely do. But I think we are we are prime to maybe give it a damn good go. Um, yeah, I think this will be. I think Pep will actually be worrying about West Ham, which is a real compliment to where West Ham are so far this season. What will he be worrying about? Wall Prowse, Paqueta. Yeah, the ability to kind of soak up possession, break it up, and then break like. The Boeing goal against Brighton, sort of, which I think everyone has probably probably seen, exemplifies what we were about. We had like bustling Antonio back at left back, you know, trying, you know, working his ass off for the team, breaking it up. Lovely ball out to Ben Rama, lovely ball to to Bowen, and we got the quality to punish teams on the break. And actually, Alvarez as well um, from Ajax has been a brilliant addition. And interestingly, I think the player he most reminds me of is Rodri. Um, he's maybe got a bit more kind of aggression than Rodri, which you need if you're playing for West Ham rather than Man City. But um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a lovely player. He's kind of got everything. Speaking of people reminding 
people of people. <laughs> Paquetar has made the most tackles and committed the most fouls in the Premier League this season. Liquidator 22 says, with Paquetar topping the tackle stats this season, says Liquidator 22, should we now start dubbing him Moises Casado? <laughs> Moises <laughs> Casado. Yeah, I like it. That's, uh, that's what a West Ham fan thinks, Natalie, about this game. What do you think is going to happen? No, I think regarding Paquetá is, re is interesting because when he got here and all Brazilian fans, they really know him from his offensive skills. And when he got to West Ham, I remember interviewing him and him saying, oh, no, uh, David Moyes is telling me to, to just uh, approach the have a more offensive approach and play closer to the box and have more freedom. Uh, people know that this is my style of play. But then all of a sudden, he just started developing these defensive skills, which actually happens a lot when we have uh, Brazilians coming, especially to, to the Premier League, mm -hmm. because they come here with all this freedom and creativity, and now they have to become these players inside a structure. So sometimes it takes time, and Paquetá has been developing this in the national team. Yeah, he obviously plays didn't, deeper there as yes, well, Yes, yes, exactly. He plays deeper there. So it can benefit the, the national team. Of course, he wasn't with the national team now on this international break during the, the batting allegations. But it's interesting to see the type of player he's developing uh, at West Ham. And he loves a scrap. He like he is. I don't think, as you say, I don't think he's been told to get stuck in. And you know, he's leading all these kind of like you know uh, tackling stats or whatever. He just can't help himself. Like he 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 wants to get the ball back every time he loses it. I still think something I thought that, that potentially tells a bit of a story against him. I mean, at the Battle of Alkmaar mm. last year, yeah, when yeah. it was the when it was Nolsey defending <laughs> the, the, the the West Ham fans. So. Just before that, because it was the players' area, the players had jumped over the hoardings to go and like defend their families. And there was Paquetar in the middle of it, like really scrapping around. I was and, not surprised. But at also, all. then it turns out afterwards, he had no family there whatsoever. He just wanted to jump in. But th that is part of the part of his game that we weren't expecting, but we love. Because especially in the absence of Declan Rice, yes, like we exactly. need we need to kind of share around the responsibility of yeah he know, was tackling, he was smart play. taking that that role especially after Rice departure. It is quite funny that even in 2023 and how much football's been homogenised, we still have this get our gift to the world in this country is to like get people scrapping and <laughs> tackling and fighting on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm curious. You two will know this a lot better than me, but like how good he was last season, because in, in my mind, he maybe had like a slowish first half of the season. Yes, he did. So then when I saw him being linked to it, I, I'd slightly missed how good he was in the second half. And it, it just makes me feel... And then he's being linked with like an £80 million move to, to Man City. City. To City. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like nowadays that the gap between being a, we can't get a fee for this player, can we loan him with an option to someone to then being like 80 million 100 million it feels like so thin you you need like half a good season and then everyone's like yeah i, I think pakatar watchers would have known that there's a serious player there for a long time and, and and it was that kind of natural um bedding in period in the first six months and also he's not going to like a team that is like known to nurture like creative number 10s he was going to a david moyes team so it was always going to take a little while. And actually, to David Moyes' credit, he was unable to do this with Skamaka. Mm. He worked out how to get Pakitai in, and now he's pretty much first name on the team sheet. And very cleverly, West Ham delayed the kind of initial hearing around the betting allegations to like three days after the transfer window was shut. So they knew that at a minimum, they're going to keep Pakitai through to January, hopefully to the end of the season. We'll yeah, see. He, he's kind of in this limbo in a sense, mm. because we don't know what's going to happen, what type of punishment he's going to get. But at the same time, this fixture makes you think 
what if Paqueta had joined Man City? Mm-hmm. How would he fit into that midfield? How what could Pep have done with him? Uh, would he be so worried about tackling and defending, or would he have even more freedom? It's it's curious. Too. He's not a Pep mm. player. Yeah. I found that's why I found yeah. it strange that he's a risk taker. He does. He loses yes. the ball quite a lot. He likes doing kind of sexy things. I mean, look at, look at him dancing. He's a beautiful man. Um, and whereas Pep, like, <laughs> I guess what Pep that? did with Grealish. Oh, uh, go uh, just try and find. Don't sing the Paqueta. Yeah. 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 It's a, there's a. He's got a his dance. own like moves. Yeah. Okay. Just just look it up. He's got he's got liquid hips. And better than Moises' moves. If you would believe it, <laughs> Pagata is even better, an even better dancer wow. than Moyes. And his wife, and they do cool videos of dancing together. Like he's they just, do. Yeah, he's got so much sauce about him, and that's why, like, I sort is of. Is he your new favorite hammer, Benji? I love him. I really do love yeah. him. Yeah, I think I'm Mikel Antonio will always be my favorite hammer. Okay. But he reminds me of like pre-City Grealish, so obviously he can be molded. Mm, you know? right. He's yeah. got this joy and kind of uh, expression about him, which. You know, you don't get that as a Man City player. Mm. We had uh, you as a guest just after West Ham had beaten Chelsea at the London Stadium with that fabulous goal from Mikel Antonio. Mm. And at the time, I think you felt that that was very much a case of a blind hen pecking some corn. <laughs> but he performed brilliantly in the following game against Brighton, as you, as you mentioned. Do you think that we are also experiencing a bit of a Mikel Antonio renaissance this season? I hope so. Um, and quite possibly. You know, Mikel Antonio, when he's on it, He's a fairly unique sort of Premier League centre forward. There's not many better than him. Like, mm. um, so if if we can get that out of him whilst his body is still held together, then then yeah, fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And, and actually, I think it's helped that there was quite a lot of talk about bringing in another striker to mm. to give him competition because he's, he's slightly upped his game since then. Speaking of bustling physical centre forwards, of course, City have one of their own. Uh, here's some curious stats about Erling Haaland's it is he match day performances so far this season because they've exactly mirrored what he did last season. So last year, match day one, he got a brace. This year, the same. Last year, he got no goals on match day two. This year, the same. Last year, he got one goal on match day three. This year, the same. And last year, on match day four, he got a hat trick. And on, this year, the same. And what, what did does he that do? mean? What did he do on match day five, Benji? Oh, bollocks, was it a hat trick? It was. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable, though, isn't it? He is a machine. He's probably just decided he fancies doing that. I mean, he can kind of just... <laughs> yeah. just like, this would be a funny quirk. We've broken every other record. What do you think about City then, Charlie? Um, yeah, I think, as Benji says, it, it definitely looks like their biggest test so far. Um it's always hard to go against him. I mean, I've, I've made this comparison before, but with him fresh from winning the US Open, Djokovic, Man City, to me, are so similar. They're hmm. just this winning machine, and I'd never really bet against either of them. So I'd expect City to find a way. But I certainly think, like, last season, this was the opening game yeah. of the season, Harlan's and Harlan scored twice, yeah. didn't he? And it, it was pretty comfortable. I think it'll be closer than that. Hmm. Um, but I do think City will probably edge it. And okay. I'm interested to see... Phil Foden's development, he did really well now in the international break and this always transfers back to mm. to what they do in the club. So, yeah, and the combinations, the combination with this this Erling guy you mentioned. <laughs> this Erling guy. Yeah. But it's true what, what you say. They they took Brighton apart on the break and it's a, there are similarities between, between them and City. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I still, ultimately, Pep seems to just find a way. It's like, the, the the he's almost had a different formation for each game of the season so far. Like the opening game, they sort of they they um against 
was it Sheffield United their first game? No, Burnley their first game. Oh, sorry. Um, they had that kind of zero width. They played through the middle. Next game against Sheffield United, it was sort of classic Grealish on on the wing. When he started at City, it was like fullbacks pushing up into midfield. Now it's like four centre backs across the back. Like he's just and, trying and to. The, and the high lines, they are even higher. Yeah. And Anderson is almost in. On, in he's the trying midfield. to complete football. Like he's trying hmm. to win in every possible way. And <laughs> but certainly that Sheffield United game with their the Blades low block. If they'd had the kind of counter attacking mm. punch, because they kept that goalless for a long time, and then put, I think even equalised and that, or certainly yeah. pulled one back in the Late. time, and then City they, found a way. I think they found the a way, yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's a, there's four teams right behind them mm. who, if they do slip up, will be rubbing their hands with glee. A Liverpool who will be at Wolves in the early kickoff on Saturday. Interestingly, Liverpool have failed to win any of their six early Saturday kickoffs last season, but they are on that 15-game unbeaten run, the longest in the Premier League. Spurs, who will be hosting Sheffield United themselves Saturday at three. A win there would make this Spurs' best start to a season since 1965. And the other team right behind City are Arsenal, of course, who are at Everton. That's Sunday at 4.30, which should be easy enough, right? Absolutely not. That's been their bogey, uh, bogey ground of the last few years. Goodison for Arsenal. Arteta's lost three out of three, though. Yeah, three out of three, including Sean Dyche's first game in charge of Everton. When was that? Back in February. In February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is why is that, and does it have any relevance to this weekend? Yeah, I think it, I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, Goodison is probably one of like the last grounds that still can have an intim- a real intimidation factor for visiting teams, and I think that has. I mean, to take those three defeats in context, one was when Arsenal were in the midst of that horrific run in December 2020, uh, where they lost five out of seven. Then there was one just before Aubameyang, I think it was Aubameyang's last game, actually, and they lost having been ahead for most of the game, conceded two late goals. And then last season was when Arsenal were off the back of beating United 3-2. They had 50 points from 19 games and looked borderline unbeatable. Everton, Dyche's first game. And they just sort of got done. I mean, they, they Calvert-Lewin was able to play that game, which made an enormous difference. And I think if Everton are going to win again on the weekend, they'll probably need him fit. What, what's his fitness status? Well, he hasn't played, I don't think, since he suffered that quite nasty injury in, I think, what was Everton's second game? He made such a difference because they could play up to him. And Has he kept Beto the ball. taken his place, though, now? Possibly, but I, I imagine if he's fit, and that is a big if, you'd have to play Calvert-Lewin in this game, given what he did to Arsenal last season. And they have the three central midfielders who who I imagine will play again, uh, who just bossed Arsenal around. Uh, so I think it is a big test. I think if they could come through this, it would say a lot about where they're at. Everton, as, as you were hinting, uh, Benji, are, are due something. Uh, Beto, who's only played one game but has already made more dribbles than any other Everton player this season, uh, they are the team that underperform most on their XG. Out of all the Premier League sides, uh, according to the XG model, they should have scored five goals more than they had. Yeah, they haven't looked awful. And, and I, Apart I, from finishing. Yeah, exactly. Like the, and and I I do feel like there's something in Beto. He, he's, he's got... He's, Really, I know we've already talked about him. He reminded, reminded me a little bit of that kind of Mikel Antonio-style striker who is very busy, he's physical, but he's actually got the quality, he can dribble. I, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm quite you know, optimistic that he could be part of, the, part of the solution. 
against Sheffield United, actually, they they could have they could have won that match. They should have won. Match, yes, yeah. even though Pickford had a brilliant display mm. and he was he was very important in in that. And yeah, no, they, they haven't looked awful, but they, they haven't won. Only McNeil to come back. Uh, they got Harrison from Leeds. But they've, they've, I think McNeil was on the bench and came on in the last game. So I think everything will be fine. I think this is, the. I mean, this is said about a lot of games, but I do think it is one where whoever scores first is so crucial. Because really? I, think, I think, well, I think if Everton go ahead, I, can, I think it'll be a really difficult ask for, because the fans will be so up for it. They'll mm. really be behind the team. Everton are very, you know, what they did last season anyway once they went ahead in this game they never really looked like conceding um, I feel like Arsenal are very good at going behind they are coming back. they are but I think if Arsenal could go ahead mm. quieten the crowd a little bit I, th- I just think it would make an enormous difference will Havertz play again? I think he will I think um, there's a lot of belief in him from Arteta he trusts that he will get the best out of him uh, once he kind of works out what he's doing I mean he's become this massive punch bag Already, which I think is maybe a bit unfair. I mean, he's played four games. I'm not sure it is, man. Like, I, with, with, sometimes I wonder if like the wisdom of the crowd with Havertz is, is is maybe right. Like, he's been here for three years now. He's mm. played like a hundred odd Premier League games, and no one's worked out what to do with him. Like, they, I do wonder if he's, there, there is a slight bit of like managerial arrogance there from from Arteta, thinking, "Oh, don't worry, we'll work it out." And I also think he's actually his biggest crime, Havertz, is that he's in the position that Declan Rice, I think, should be playing in, like more box to box, and maybe and party should be tucking in where Declan is right now and get a proper right back. But I think the guy he's replaced, Granite Xhaka, a year or so ago, everyone would have been saying the same thing about Fair Xhaka, point. like, "Who is this guy?" You know, he's clear, he's useless, he can't play defensive midfield. Arteta did find a way to get the best out of him, playing in a position that no one thought he'd thrive in. So I imagine he thinks he can do something similar. All managers, all Chelsea managers, all of them <laughs> who work with Havertz uh, plus Arteta now, they all say that he's incredibly smart, that, mm. that like his vision of the game is really interesting. So there is something there. And considering all, the amount of changes that Arteta did uh, in the team during the season, he will be very useful in, in, this, in this context. But... Yeah, we're still I, waiting. I do think the way he looks and carries himself doesn't help him as well. Like he, he has a little bit of the Urzil kind of language. Yeah, he can look a bit like he doesn't care because he's not like all hustle and bustle. No, for sure, and that has an impact. But the fact that when you have clean cut chances that fall to him and he consistently misses them and they turn out to be crucial, what would have been crucial goals, I think that that's probably the biggest. Uh, count against him. Briefly, are Liverpool at Wolves and Spurs at home to Sheffield United? They're going to win their games. I think Spurs will. Liverpool, I'm not sure. I think I think Wolves again have maybe been a bit better than results suggest. Okay, we'll see this weekend. Next up, let's talk about Man United. Hi everyone, David Ornstein here, and I want to tell you about The Athletic's new bite-sized podcast, The Daily Football Briefing. If you're one of those people who are just too busy for a regular length podcast in the morning, this is right up your street. In just over 10 minutes, we'll bring you bang up to date with the biggest stories in football, all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. It'll be Matt Slater on a club's ongoing takeover saga, our club experts reflecting on big overnight matches, and let's be honest, me explaining those transfer stories that just won't go away. That's the Daily Football Briefing, every weekday morning, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Saturday at three o'clock. What's a lot going on Saturday at three o'clock? One of the things is at Old Trafford, Man United hosting Brighton. United arguably now the underdogs in a fixture like yeah. this. No, actually Brighton have won their last three Premier League meetings against United. Natalie, you've seen uh, Ten Hag's side a couple of times this season. The Spurs and Arsenal defeats. Mm-hmm. What, what have you What have you noticed about them? I think they were there were two different games, very different uh, types of defeats. Because for as a, <laughs> just a matter of centimeters, we wouldn't be talking uh, about Man United in the same way with the Garnacho goal against against Arsenal. I hear what you're saying, but equally, matter of centimeters with the Wolves or yeah. a matter of a, a, a different VAR yes. call, they wouldn't have picked up three points there. Yes, no, definitely, and and I think with Man United. I'm I'm very interested how Ten Hag's gonna figure out his attacking choices now with the Sancho situation and the Anthony situation. Anthony's not gonna play. Is Sancho gonna play? If Sancho's not playing, who will play in this position? Will he play Garnacho mm. on that side of the pitch because it's not his side of the pitch, or will he change the formation and maybe I don't know put McTominay uh, on midfield because everybody's been talking about this possibility. Everybody but Ten Hag. Everybody's been talking about this possibility and change to kind of like a 4-4-2 with Rashford and, and Holland uh, possibly starting his his first game. So there are a few options uh, that he can show against Brighton. But there is this, I don't know, we talk about Man United being such a mess out of the out of the pitch. And and th- it's not that they're a mess on the pitch at all, but it just it doesn't look if you look at the progression of Ten Hag's work uh, mm. last season, the se- this season should have started differently. No, yeah, in you're terms not seeing that progression. Yeah, in these first matches, not as much as I thought they would show because they showed some very positive things last season. So I was expecting uh, Man United to, to just keep on that. Um, one of the areas in which they seem to have gone backwards is uh, Casemiro's form. Yes, what's, what's that about? Yeah, and this is why everybody's mentioning McTominay a lot right. and yeah there there are a lot of people saying that Casemiro is not showing the same intensity in at the start of the season compared to the to, to last season against Arsenal he was very efficient and I think on the first match of the season there was a lot for him to take care of and I think they, they kind of adjusted that but it's not there yet I think the expectations with Casemiro also are are very high especially when when you're playing on a midfield with Ericsson with more freedom and not the same physicality as Ericsson years ago which is absolutely normal and I think th- it's 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 kind of like Casemiro has to make up for everything that's not working at Man United. So I think in a way he's a bit exposed not only 
tactically, but in this sense of making up if, if defensive is, is not working really well or, or injuries or things like that, Casemiro has to make up for that. And if the midfield is not showing fluidity, Casemiro has to make up for that. So And every international break, McTominay turns into Yaya Torres. Yes. <laughs> and there's two, Thank you, yeah. And there's two more of those before the end of the year. So poor old <laughs> Casemiro. But I was thinking, in, in, ten, in Ten Hag's um, defence, since he's been there for the last two seasons, there's been a lot of sort of stink around the club. Like, obviously, mm -hmm, there was like yeah. the Ronaldo stuff last season. This year, there's been Anthony, obviously. There's Jaden Sancho. And, of course, all the sort of furore around Harry Maguire at the moment. So, like, quite a lot of distraction there. The takeover mm. not happening in the background, which I was thinking about as, as I was washing my hands with Ineos uh, <laughs> uh, hand wash in the oh, athletic yeah, nice. toilet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's not had just a smooth run of, like, no. fully available players, no controversy. So it's mitigating. Yeah, am I right in saying there's been a, something of a rapprochement, uh, to use the, like, uh, praise Avignon. Thank you. <laughs> Putting uh, it in terms I'll understand. Between, <laughs> between uh, Ten Hag and Jaden? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the Athletic have done various reports on kind of the background to it and, and all of that. And I think it is a really interesting yeah, he deleted situation. the tweet. He deleted the tweet. Yeah. What was the tweet that he deleted? The one saying that I've been scapegoated. Oh, I see. Okay. Basically. With a lot of exclamation, quite incongruous exclamation marks. Um, How many exclamation marks? Quite a few. I have this thing where quite often footballers and famous people will use exclamation marks in a way that I find really quite odd. Okay. So it would, you know, it might be like someone's died or something and it would be like RIP exclamation mark, <laughs> like we'll miss you. And I'm just like, that feels a little bit sort of, an exclamation mark to me is more joyful. Yeah, it's bouncy. Yeah. yeah that, I think so, yeah. yeah. Mostly, RIP exclamation mark. Yeah. See, the bouncy or angry, it's not. Yeah, it's you not want it to be measured. Yeah. And thoughtful. Yeah. What punctuation would you use then? Dot, 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 RIP. <laughs> <laughs> I think full stop, or it might not even need one. Yeah, might I agree. not. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is it's a full, full stop. stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or is it? I guess that's a yeah. question for another question. Um, Think about that on Saturday. But Sancho. No, I think uh, with United, watching the game where they lost to Spurs a few weeks ago, they reminded me a little bit of where Conte's Tottenham were this time a year ago, whereby the results aren't terrible and they'll probably win enough mm -hmm. games to... I know at this point get fourth something like that but there's a bit of a joylessness like I don't you don't really see a kind of a week-to-week -week feeling of mm. massive progress and if you look at last season they did go on one very good run United but it was generally against pretty weak opposition like their record against good teams especially away is terrible right I don't know I find it like I know when Spurs were looking at Ten Hag in summer of 2021 he didn't come across particularly well in, in a sort of you know, in like a way Postacoglu can like unite a club. I think Ten Hag is a lot more serious and that's fine. Right. But I, I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't seem a whole lot of fun right now. Doesn't, does it? Brighton, they're fun. They're great fun. Three goals a game. Exclamation marks with them. Actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah will we'll United provide a full stop to that run, etc. and so on? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting game, this one. And, and you think, think yeah, to like last year when Brighton mm. beat them on the opening day and that was still at the time where Brighton were like springing surprises. Mm. Now a year on, yeah, they feel like the sort of the team with the upper hand. Yeah. Brighton uh, to take it? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how Brighton will deal with this whole 
protagonism that they, they have taken mm. uh, since last season. And now, and people are talking, is Brighton going to qualify for Champions League? I mean, they, they have been doing a good job for seasons in a row now, for years. But now it's it's serious, you know, it's serious yeah. stuff. The hunter become the hunter. Yes. It's, it's the big test when everyone knows you're brilliant. Yeah. You know, last year, yes, it was a bit of a surprise that Deserby not only picked up where Potter had, had sort of left off, but yeah. improved them. Mm. Now, I, th I thought everyone at Brighton was going to have a disappointing second season this year, especially like Matoma. I thought now, like he, everyone now knows about Matoma, and he's he's been brilliant, and Brighton have been brilliant. Like they're, they're I think you sort of have to consider them established now. But I do think as well on Casemiro, he is that sort of single pivot role that he's doing. That's really demanding, as you mm. said. You know, and you've got you know, the, what they want to do is play with Mount and Fernandez. That that is asking a lot of anyone. Um, I mean, Mount's an interesting one as well. When he's fit, I guess he can play over yeah, on the right. But, but I was thinking about Mount, and we, we may come on to Spurs, but just the comparison between Mount and James Madison, oh, yeah. who are playing basically the same position. Mm. Mm -hmm. And Mason Mount, who you kind of need a degree in counter-pressing to appreciate how good <laughs> he is, whereas Madison is kind of, it's all there. It's goals and assists, it's skills, it's swagger. Mm. And Madison uh, costs quite a lot less than Mason Mount. So, yeah, I just was thinking, like, that is... Uh, I'd be really curious to see how well Mount does. How many exclamation marks would you give Madison start to the season? A few. I would, too. Oh, yeah. I would give loads, so much fun. Yeah. yes. Because yeah. I have this theory that exclamation marks is just either one or three. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. No. You're quite an exclamation mark person, I would say, by the way. Yeah, oh, yes, Do you ever I know am. strangers to an exclamation yes, mark? Yes, yes, no, definitely. <laughs> Do you ever mix them up, throw in a question mark in there? Uh, hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Just, like... What the? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, for sure. But that is good. I mean, Mount is so not an exclamation mark player. Right. He's a kind of semicolon. I'd put exclamation marks and uh, question marks on the fee that Spurs paid for James Madison. So forty million right. pounds exclamation mark question mark. Like Cole Palmer costs more. Yeah. yeah. Like that Crazy. is unbelievable. He's steal. having so much fun. He's bossing the start of the season like a roast dinner. To <laughs> use his own <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, very briefly, Charlie, Sheffield United, you feel, feel he'll have fun with that one as well, will he? Yeah, I, I really think Spurs will win that game. I mean, you would say, I guess, typically this is the kind of game they might struggle with where suddenly the expectation's there mm. and then a team's going to come and sit deep and make it difficult for them. I just think they've got too much uh, about them at the moment. And if they do win, that sets up next weekend's North London derby very, very nicely. Wow. Yeah. I mean, All they right. could go in both on 13 points. And it would, just, it would be so interesting because Spurs, they beat United, but their games, you know, they haven't had a test like that. Away at Arsenal would, be, would just be a really good bellwether of where they are. Without Kane as well. Without Kane. Without Kane. All right, next up, let's talk about that international football again. Hi, I'm Ayo Wakimulere, host of the Athletic Football Podcast. And I've just been joined by Adam Crafton and Dan Sheldon to discuss whether there's any way back for Jadon Sancho at Manchester United, following his public fallout with manager Eric Ten Hag. Available now on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Just search The Athletic Football Podcast now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Natalie, uh, yeah, so last time we spoke to you, uh, Brazil had just exited the World Cup in Qatar in untimely fashion. Do you want some salt to put in that wound? No, no, I mean, you know, it happens, uh, at least you got there, unlike Uh some nations. Uh, This week, they got their campaign for the next one underway. Yes, With two victories, 5-1 against Bolivia, Mm -hmm. 1-0 against Peru, so everything going uh, well under Janice, the the new manager. Yes, everybody's very excited about him, actually, because he... He has this very inventive uh, style of play, and he's a very smart uh, manager. Of course, there was there was a bit of controversy because he keeps uh, his job at mm. Fluminense, and he takes over the national team while Brazil is maybe waiting for Ancelotti. So it's a bit of a messy situation. But with the good start against Bolivia and against Peru, people kind of calm down. And, and Brazilians, they really like Genis because he's been doing such a brilliant job at Fluminense. And they play in a very exciting way. And in Brazil, of course, it's not only about winning, it's the way you win. Excellent. Two goals for Neymar uh, against Bolivia, which now means that he's Brazil's outright top scorer, overtaking Pele, which I think to most people feels wrong. How do they feel about that in Brazil? 79 goals. Yes. Well, I think it's just it's always mixed feelings about Neymar. But this time, everybody knows he plays so well for the national team. All the controversy Hmm. is regarding PSG and uh, Saudi Arabia and and his club career. But his career with the national team is like it's absolutely brilliant. Speaking of people who play well for the Silas, but not so much for the Mm. club. Who am I going to talk about now? Richarlison. Yeah, Thomas. Thomas Ricala says he appears to only come alive for the national team. Is there a place at all for him in the Premier League? I think there is. And I'm a Hishalison believer. Yeah, I know. Yes, I know. Uh, and and Brazilian, most Brazilians are as well. They okay. all love Hishalison. So but why why is it that he comes across to, to, to Brazilian fans in a way that maybe he doesn't over here? I think Hishalison is a very emotional uh, person. He has a very emotional personality, and we've discussed this a few times. And he actually gave an interview uh, after the Peru match mm. uh, saying that he will seek psychological help because of things that have been happening in his life in the past five months. So I've spoken with people uh, from his camp. And and basically, there was a situation involving his agent's personal life. And Richarlison is very close to his agent. It's not just a professional relationship. They've been together for years. Uh, he helped him, he and his wife, uh, the agent's wife, he, they helped him uh, establish himself here in England. And they have a very, very close relationship. And Richarlison, all of a sudden, got 
mixed up in these problems that his agent was facing with his right. wife, and then it came to to money. And uh, when you have footballers, and this is very common in Brazil, uh, who who can't manage their careers or have problems with agents or, or managing careers, a lot of other people come around and it just became a mess for Richarlison. So you have that and you have an emotional person and it all came together and he has been uh, pretty bad in the past few months. So this is why he's going to seek psychological help. Right. And Which, I mean, I guess... Probably quite a few players do. It was interesting to see him come out and say it's it brilliant. like that. Yes. Yeah, yes. so impressive. I think that 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 makes me a you know a Richarlison fan as well because it is such a fantastic thing for like elite sports people to just come out and say, yeah, I'm going to go and speak to a psychologist because I'm I'm not in a good headspace. Especially He's- in the context of Deli Ali. You know, that yeah, answer, you know, people have such short public. memories because yeah. something like that happens and we all applaud him, and then within you know the next breath we're. Slating a player about a situation. We yeah, we've got Harry Maguire coming up next. Well, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, but he's very genuine. He's right. very genuine. So this is why I still believe, because why he plays so well in Brazil, because in Brazil he feels loved, he feels right. embraced, and that really transferred to his game. Do you think he feels embraced in, in Spurs? Because he's kind of been the one disappointing note in the start of the season. Yeah, I think he can. I think, like, and he's got loads of support, like all his teammates... After um, I think it was the Bournemouth game where again he didn't score and he he really looked visibly uh, like upset and pissed off even while he was still playing like honestly you could see there was just a level of petulance you know they were two 0 up yeah but he hadn't scored and he felt disappointed with his performance I think Postecoglou has been very supportive and and he's constantly said this thing about how you know doesn't matter about not scoring as long as you're doing the right things working hard for the team kind of does matter though if you. It does. Occupying that place in the team, you it, get one goal in a season. Well, yes, that clearly was not ideal. Right. But so far this season, Spurs have scored enough goals. They get, you know, they're mm. spreading them around, and it's all part of the, you know, trust the process stuff. That mm. if you keep working hard, keeping the right things, the goals will come. And yeah, and so after that Bournemouth game, all his teammates were really supportive of him. A lot put out, you know, messages on social media saying, you know, you played really well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm very interested to see how his relationship with Angie is going to develop because Richarlison played well in the national team because he had a great relationship with Chichi and, and now Fernando Diniz is, is the same profile. He's mm. very close to the players. And at Watford as well with Marco mm. Silva. He oh, yeah. loved Marco Silva. He had a really nice spell there. And with Ancelotti at Everton. So th- there is this common factor in the, the relationship that he develops in with the managers in, in positive moments of his career. Uncle oh. Ange, surely. Yeah. He's the right sort of guy you'd imagine I think Andrew will be great with him but maybe in a slightly different way to what people think like he's he's got a lot of emotional intelligence Postacoglu and mm. I think he'll he will work out what Richarlison needs but Postacoglu isn't this kind of he's not as cuddly as he looks no he's not no, no. he's seen as this kind of avuncular figure he's not really and he actually is quite distant from his players generally he said before he basically has never had more than like a one minute one on one conversation with his players he keeps really? it oh, wow. he, he has this whole thing where he doesn't want to get too emotionally involved because mm. he doesn't want it to cloud his right. decision making mm. but I do think he has the emotional intelligence to say okay in this instance Richarlison needs you know a bit more of the kind of cuddly approach and I was talking to someone who played up front for Ange previously and he said he was really good at reassuring him and okay. saying that message of don't worry speaking of people who have scored as many international goals as Pele welcome to the club Romelu Lukaku that feels entirely natural doesn't it 77 goals for him now 
Top scorer in Euro qualifying. He's got eight for Belgium. He got two in three minutes against Estonia since our last pod as uh, Belgium rumble on towards Germany 2024. Level with them in their group, though, are Ralph Rangnick's Austria. Remember Ralph Rangnick? Flying with Austria after their mighty 3-1 win away in Sweden. Portugal, don't know if you saw their result against Luxembourg. Luxembourg were being touted by uh, Matt and Co on Monday's show, uh, but promptly lost 9-0 to Portugal, and that was Portugal without Cristiano Ronaldo. He must be furious. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> he was suspended, and you, oh. you know what's been said back in Portugal, because everybody had a... They had a party without him. By the way, yeah. talk, just very quickly, talking mm. of international strikers with a surprising number of goals, Mitrovic is now on 55 for Serbia. Isn't that kind of wow. crazy? Wow. Got another couple this weekend. Like He is a prolific international striker. Mm. Magnificent. 55 in how many, Benji? 83. It's amazing. That's, That's an amazing. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Presumably now they play more games and there's a bigger disparity between the good and the bad because they seem to be such a disproportionate number of modern-day players with... Tons of international goals. As many goals as Pele. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. But is it just that football's getting better and better? The more high score. The golf is maybe getting wider. Pele would just be another forward, do you think, in these days? <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm, actually, I'm, yeah, I do. I do actually think that. I'm going. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neymar. Yeah. Yes. Does not get the respect he deserves. And, and, and I think um, Michael Cox wrote a piece around this. Not just at an international level. Like, we know that he's now up, up and above. But... but even at, you know, in a domestic level, he, I think people forget about the this, this season, I think it was a lockdown season he had for PSG, where he almost single-handedly won them the Champions League. Like, he's, he's an, el an elite player, he's one of the best footballers on the planet in the last sort of five, ten years. And I think Michael's point was that he kind of gets thought about as like Curlon, as a bit of a kind of like, you know, you know an entertainer, a party yeah. trick. He's I love serious. Yeah, yeah. But, or even like the, the guy Natty was coming up with him was Lucas Moura, similar level, you know, they were a similar age and both were seen, weren't yeah. they, as being like great future players. Well, yeah, look at the career, played. you know, Lucas Moura's mm. not had a bad career, but I mean, I've always found this really weird. I thought Michael's piece was great. I wrote a piece in 2018 after Liverpool play PSG in the Champions League and Steve McManaman on commentary did not stop whinging about Neymar's sort of play acting and not tracking back and all of these things it was just like enjoy the player he, yeah. and he did stuff in that game that was incredible because he's inc he's amazingly talented and fun to watch I think the, the way people view him people aren't able to separate what they think of him as a person yeah he's and annoying player, and that's fine he's you annoying. can, you can yeah. find him annoying you can disagree with his politics but okay. as a player there's a title that uh, with the under 20s Brazilian national team that that was very hyped at the time uh, in 2011 and that team was uh, I'm, I'm looking at the, the the lineup and they had like names like Casemiro, Neymar, Lucas, but they also had names that really did not make it like Danilo Danilo was mm. was there but Bruno Vini, Juan Jesus, Alexandro was in that that team Fernando. William José. So if you look at that generation, nobody came even close to Neymar. And it was a very hyped generation. Right. Everybody was talking about that team mm. at mm. the time. And if you see what happened to Neymar. He won, yeah. a, he won the Olympics. Like he's got, yeah. Yeah. got plenty on and, and you mentioned that the, when you were in Qatar and Brazil went out. Sorry to bring it up again. But yeah. Neymar, <laughs> that, that goal Neymar scored. If Brazil win that game and let's say go on and win the tournament, that goal is being talked about as one of the great goals in yes. World Cup history, I think. Yes. It was incredible. Fez o toque para Rodrigo. Bate Neymar. Bate pro gol. Insistiu Neymar. Escapuliu. Bateu. Gol! 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 
other international talking points from the last few days. Rudy Voller debuted, replacing Hansi Flick as Germany manager. His uh, Mannschaft beat France 2-1 in a friendly. Uh, Holders Italy got their qualification back on track, sort of. They had a 2-1 win over Ukraine at San Siro with uh, Fratesi scoring twice for the Azuri and Luciano Spalletti's second game in charge, his first win. They stay six points behind England, level with Ukraine and North Macedonia, but they have a game in hand on uh, both of those two. Spalletti's predecessor as Italy boss, meanwhile, Roberto Mancini, had a disastrous start to his Saudi Arabia tenure. They had a couple of... Games up in Newcastle, of course, and lost both of them, Costa Rica and South Korea. As for England, well, not far north of Newcastle, on Tuesday night, was it? Tuesday night. They burst Scotland's bubble with that 3-1 win at Hampden, which was kind of the Jude Bellingham masterclass. Yeah, showdown. Yeah? No, it's incredible. it was incredible, and it's going to be really entertaining to see uh, Jude Bellingham developed this really ridiculously offensive <laughs> skills and freedom, actually, because mm. at Real Madrid now, with his ridiculous start, man, he's, he's playing Real Madrid. It's, it's probably the biggest club in the world, and he feels like he's home already. Yeah. And he has all this freedom, and this also transferred to, to his game in England. Six goals in six games for club and country. Uh, this season and, and the number of assists that he was providing. Oh, that superb assist on uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have a non-English person in Natalie to hype him because, mm. you know, we that's kind of what we do. But but even going beyond that, I mean, that England team, it does look really, really good. I don't think that's being jingoistic. You know, you look at that, you, you could have a midfield three of Rice, Foden and Bellingham and then a front three of Rashford, Saka, Kane with a number of players not getting into that team. I know... Defensively, maybe there are some issues, but that's a really, really that midfield is team. great. That kind of like encapsulates the the kind of Southgate dilemma, and I think our relationship with Southgate that midfield. Yeah, the midfield you just described of one holder in Rice and two forward players in Foden and. But Bang. that's how City play. You know, that's how a lot but of teams. Generally play. speaking, that's not how. Southgate not at international plays. level. He, not he'll, he'll, he'll put someone like Phillips or yeah. or Henderson. And Phillips was in on, on Tuesday. Yeah. He was well. actually really good. It was, yeah. it was, I felt it was so depressing watching Calvin Phillips be yeah. good. So I was like, why can't, why I didn't can't he play? Leave? I know. Like, it's, the same, it's the same with same with Maguire. It's like, why do you want to just sit on the bench when you're clearly a talented player and you could flourish elsewhere? But he'll believe Calvin Phillips that he will, like Grealish, that oh, it'll yeah, work for him. It's, it's, come on, man. Like, especially with Maguire. It's like, Maguire's like, what, eighth choice centre-back at Man United and... And Calvin Phillips just barely gets a game. They've just bought yeah. Kovacic. He's just not going to play. So, like, yeah. why? You'd like bother? to see players like that go somewhere else, like Harry Maguire go to West Ham, for example. Go anywhere. Go and play. But we, he yeah. was a target for the Hammers. Yeah, right? yeah. I, it would have been a bad move for him because I don't think right now he's better than Aguero and Zuma. Right. But if, he, if he'd gone somewhere where he would have started every week, that is exactly the right thing for Maguire, who is clearly a good player, just in a real funk, you know. Mm. Maybe and actually, he, he wasn't needs... that bad against Scotland. He was fine. He, I got an unlucky own goal. Maybe was that unlucky? Yeah, I think so. I think if you're a defender and you stick your leg out like that, I think you're really asking for trouble. It doesn't maybe, help with maybe. how he's perceived, certainly, as being sort of lumbering and clumsy. Yeah, and I mean, he just wasn't help. quick enough. It's, it's a, Southgate, a Southgate shouldn't have put him on. Like, mm. Tamori's surely ahead of him in the pecking order. He then, like, really vociferously defended him after the game, making him more of a centre of attention. Like, yeah. Quite a bit of, like, late-stage football manager about, about Southgate at the moment mm. with his defensive Henderson and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Was it did feel a little bit like when your dad's defending you and kind of like, Dad, shut, shut up. up. Yeah, when yeah, your yeah. mother wanders into the playground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Stop yeah, picking yeah, yeah, on my yeah, boy. Yeah. 
Not that that ever happened. But given the circumstances, <laughs> uh, I, I think it was, in a way, it was good for him to, to talk about how much of a joke, like the, the terms he used uh, to talk about Harry Maguire, because it is, it's just, it's too much. I feel so bad. As a neutral, I mm. feel so bad for him. It's horrible. And, and people are being hypocrites, talking about uh, mental health and how mm. players should speak up. And then Harry Maguire enter, enters the pitch and he has to deal. Uh, honestly, we were talking about Richardson. I hope he has a really good therapist. Mm. And I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. joking because he, he needs help to cope with everything. You have social media. You have, of course, you have banter from, from the opponent and that's part of football but at the same time it, it's too much it's it's ridiculous I feel I feel awful for him I honestly. do think with him what's happened is there's like basically there's always been like a snobbishness towards him and what is basically punching down is now people feel legitimized because it feels like it's punching up because he costs a ton of money he captain United he plays for England so he kind of feels fair game to people in a way that you know and some people are just cruel to anyone they don't care if they're punching down or punching up but I think for a lot of people it feels like oh great we can just absolutely go in on this guy which which you wouldn't be doing if he was you know if he was playing for a lower level premier league club or whatever but it's as if it's fine to just go in on him as much as you want because he costs a lot and it's, it's a mob captain united it's a yeah. mob and and, and, I, and I, I do wonder if this this game was the, the high watermark of it because i think the narrative has slightly changed you know maybe as it is in this room where people are actually talking about come on man enough already with with with, with harry Maguire, like um, and but, what's going to happen now? Because you have two other international fixtures this year, and I don't think he's going to play that much at United. Well, so my question was going to be: You mentioned uh, England having issues at the back. Should they? Is there not, not, yeah. not enough other talent kind of emerging out there that this doesn't this, have to in be? In this game, I mean, sadly for Harry Maguire, I thought we thought we saw Lewis Dunk doing the Harry Maguire role sort of better than we've seen Harry Maguire do it for quite a while. Like I think Southgate is right, is that you need like a you need a Harry Maguire type next to John Stones. I don't see why that can't be Lewis Dunk. You know, incredibly mm. consistent. He's playing for now an elite Premier League club and and he and he and he was pretty much flawless in that Not game. Gay so as well. instead of everyone slamming Maguire for his performance, I can't see anybody it's gonna slam dunk. Fair. <laughs> I wonder where that's going. Fair. <laughs> Sorry, we'll so obvious from your intonation. <laughs> so obvious that wasn't going to be a real question. <laughs> uh, let's get back to the Premier League. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Euro show coming up next Tuesday. We'll be looking ahead to the Champions League match day one, which is coming up next week. The, the uh, company of Alvaro and James and Julian and Rafa will be talking about all the big stories, a bit of Milan derby, and they're probably also Paul Pogba. Crikey, we talked mm. about careers didn't go the way you expected. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pogba now provisionally suspended after a drugs test. Uh, he did a, a Gaddafi, essentially. He tested positive for a game which he didn't play in in, in Udine. Which uh, I can't remember which Gaddafi son it was who it was did Sabi. that. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, on a serious level, he could be facing several years of ban. And uh, for a player who was really struggling to get his career back on track anyway, uh, after the incredible start he had as a young player, uh, this is really worrying news. We'll hear more about that on Tuesday anyway. Back in the Premier League uh, this weekend, Fulham taking on Luton. The Hatters yet to take a point in the Premier League. They could become, I read, Charlie, only the second team in Premier League history to lose their first four games in the competition, their first four games ever, not just in a season, uh, after Swindon Town mm. 30 years ago. 93-94, uh, 5,754 5, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was Swindon Town's one and only Premier League campaign. It does still faintly blow my mind because I was away for that decade. It, it it faintly blows my mind still that Swindon Town were ever roaming the fields of the Premier League. Big time Glenn Hoddle. And conceded 100 goals. And conceded 100 goals in a, in a single campaign. Glenn Hoddle was the manager who got Player manager, up. I think, wasn't he? No, did he not then leave? Oh, OK. Maybe I think he left before that campaign started. Is that right, John? Yeah, You'll I think know so. Yeah, John Gorman was ah, the manager, yeah, who was yeah, yeah. his, um, his assistant. Yeah, I mean, that season was actually the year before my football obsession started. Okay. I was living in Amsterdam, actually, in 93, 94. Um, wow, that sounds a lot more interesting. And, <laughs> as a kid. It makes okay. it sound as if I went over there sort of <laughs> <laughs> on my own steam. But yeah, it was the following season, 94, 95. But, so I knew I was kind of then as I got into it then, you know, looking back at what happened. And right. Swindon was always, until Derby came, I mean, Derby obviously got fewer points. Mm. So they replaced them as the kind of high low watermark water. or low watermark, however you want to look at it. I mean, they were, it was incredible. And, and actually, unsurprisingly, there is an athletic long read on Swindon's mad <laughs> season. Yes, so because, really? because Stu James uh, okay. was an apprentice with Swindon Town at the time. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, Stu was a, yeah, really, really good footballer. And so he had the proper inside story and spoke to various players and things like that. I mean, it does sound like a proper madcap campaign. It was John Moncur. John Moncur, exactly, yeah. bonkers. You know yeah. the, Paolo, the Paolo Futre story with him? No. Sorry, a bit of a tangent, but when um, Paolo Futre got to West Ham, right. somehow Harry Redknapp had got him in, um, John Moncur was wearing the number 10, and, and Paolo was like, I'm not playing unless I wear the number 10. And it was a long, protracted negotiation. And in the end, um, John Moncur got two weeks at Palo Futre's Portuguese villa <laughs> in return for the number 10 shirt. Well, that seems fair. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. good. Futre smokes cigarettes in the toilets. Have you been Every to Swindon? No, but okay. I, I, I'm regretting that. Yeah. Actually. yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had some amazing, don't get me wrong, they've had uh, some remarkable stories along the way. Uh, Palo de Cano. Do you remember yeah. the Palo oh, de Cano? Yeah. Where's Fotheringham? Uh, Kicking the keeper. Out. Did yeah. he keep the keeper? Well, I've conflated well, two Probably he here. did, but we never saw <laughs> I think he the keeper. No, I think he brought the He took him, him off arse. 21 minutes into a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then gave a fantastic post-game interview about it. There is no, nothing wrong to change and a goalkeeper, especially if we don't talk about Czech. No? Have you, have We're talking you, about Wes, 20-year-old. And now he, he did what he did today. 
and go out in this money because he's untouchable. That is uh, mad. League One, League One West. The greatest Swindon story. Is this apocryphal, the Razor Ruddock story, where they, they sign Razor Ruddock and they can't play him because they can't find shorts big enough? Uh, he says that he's tried on about 90 pairs without finding any that fit him. <laughs> so they have to send back to the kit manufacturer in Egypt <laughs> um, to, to build, essentially, bigger shorts. He had a proper trunk on him, didn't he? Well, he, I think he yeah. put on to wait. That was, it was the you know, late stage. That's, yeah, that's later it than this, It was burgers on the toilet stage. Yeah, because he, yeah. he was still, he probably would have been at Liverpool at yeah. this point. Um, but it was, I mean, this Swindon team, they scored 47, hmm. which wasn't terrible. Uh, only six fewer than Arsenal, who finished fourth that season. And really? More than 10th place, place Villa. They put four past United in their two meetings. United won the double. So they were, they were very attacking. They, it was just this kind of madcap thing. And I think it became very obvious very quickly that they were really out of their depth. But they really gave it a proper go. And I think it was one of those, you know, we had the time of our lives yeah. type years. Nice one. But they've not been back since. I mm. think Luton had this, this um, shuddering realisation when I was listening to the radio before the Luton-West Ham game. And like Nathan Jones was everywhere. And I was like, ah, Nathan Jones is going to be the Luton manager again by the end of this season. Do you think so? I really you? do. Yeah, I think that's almost inevitable. Because he had such a success in yeah, the Premier he, League last he, season? Well, well, but he also, it is forgotten, was a, a huge part of Luton's rise. And, yeah. And, and uh, if they carry on like this, Luton, you can't see them sticking with the manager. Mm. Right, and, okay. and Nathan Jones would be the natural sort of parachuted in guy, I think. But Rob Edwards equally had a brilliant time with the Hatters in other divisions. I've so far been unable to replicate that uh, in this. I don't know, it's a tough one. So they're going to be facing Fulham. Uh, last time they met was the... Uh, Fulham clinched the championship title with a 7-0 win over the Hatters at Craven Cottage. That was in May 2022. Have you seen either of these sides in action, Natalie, this yeah, season? Yeah, I've seen Fulham. Okay. I've seen Fulham Arsenal. That was interesting. Was it? Yes. What did it tell you about <laughs> the cottages? No, no, no yeah. Uh, I really like Fulham's midfield options, and especially after they kept Palinha. Yeah, <laughs> which, that is so big. That is huge. Yeah. That's huge. Like, I mean, that's like their signing of the summer. Yes, definitely. Even if it's just until January, you know, just enjoy every minute of it. Right. I mean, how good, how good was he that game? I mean, he, he was, was incredible. Amazing. It was like three Palingas on, on, on the pitch. He, he just has this, this power. And William was, was injured for a while, but he, he should come back soon. And Andreas Pereira is having another really good season. So, so yeah, I, I really like this Fulham side. I, I like the way they absolutely know what they have to do and they embrace Marco Silva's ideas when you talk to the players and it's really clear how they engage with the manager and with the, the way they have to play. So, and now without Mitrovic, it's interesting to see the, the solutions that they, they're trying to find and hoping that how Jimenez can, can go back to the scoring sheet. Scored a couple for Mexico. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Did he really? Nice to see. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting good. as well talking about Paulinho because I've seen it mentioned that he feels like the kind of signing that United used to make back in the day hmm. when they would pick off Fulham the, players. Not necessarily Fulham players, but, but those kind often. of well, yeah, something like Louis Saha, for instance. Oh, yeah. Chris Smalling, I think. Chris Smalling. Van der Sar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So those yeah. level, you know, those team, the kind of the best players from the mid table, mm. um, and Paulinho would kind of be exactly what they need. Hmm. All right. Going to hustle through these remaining fixtures. 
but it sounds like Fulham for the win in that one. Uh, oh, I mentioned uh, some sides who are down in the kind of disappointment category at the moment. Four games in, it is early to draw conclusions. But Tom Harris in The Athletic does do an interesting piece this week in which he plots a graph with essentially expected goal difference on the Y, the vertical axis, and on the X he's got field tilt, which I've not come across before. Field tilt is that where you have your touches. The further forward you have your touches Say on the field. Say those words again. Field, field tilt. Field tilt. Field tilt is quite good. It's quite is instructive, it? yeah. But basically, so he's plotted field tilt on the X and expected goal difference on the Y because they should be pretty instructive about how well your team is performing against the opposition, what they, what kind of results they should be getting. And three teams are way out kind of top right where you want to be on this graph. One is Man City, duh. Another one is Arsenal. Uh-huh. And the third team is Chelsea. Chelsea, who by those metrics at least, should be doing far, far better. They're away at Bournemouth Sunday at 2 o'clock. Oh, by the way, the worst-ranked teams on, on on that graph were Fulham and Sheffield United, so, you know, for what that's worth. But I was just wondering, is this the game, do you think, Bournemouth-Chelsea Sunday 2 o'clock, is this the game when it all comes together for Pochettino? I, I've been thinking for ages that Chelsea... I mean, I think under Pochettino they will do well. But, yeah, for, for so long, I mean, under Potter as well, it was just like, OK, surely... The dam's going to burst and they'll have a game where they do just put away some of those chances and it just keeps not happening. That said, yes, I think Bournemouth could be that game. Quick, right. yes. <laughs> Quick Bournemouth-related thing. Yeah. Question. What do you think the most common surname in the Premier League is? Right now? Yeah. I reckon Quizmaster Charlie might. Ooh. And it's by a distance. And it's related to... The most Bournemouth. common surname. I, I think I know. Or I can... I like how Charlie's just, We've just sent him to his racing. wine palace. Yes, yeah. exactly. No, um, Brooks? Nope. Uh, I'll put you out of your misery. Smith? So you'd think it's Smith. There's only... There's two Smiths in the Premier League, I think. I understand. There's a Smith row as well. But oh, no. yeah. Okay. yeah. The most common surname in the Premier League is Traore. There are, oh, yeah. there are five Traores currently in the Premier League. So you've got Hamed at, at Bournemouth, um, Benny at Sheffield United, Adama, our favourite at Fulham, and Bertrand at Villa. And Bubakar at Wolves, yeah. Brilliant. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, and <laughs> this is all relating to a weird thought about Hamid Traore, which is he was brilliant at the end of last season for Bournemouth. They then spent £20 million on him, and he's played like half an hour so far this hmm. season. So sort of one, they, they're trying to work out what the configuration of Does he not is fit in with Ideola Ball? With, who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe not. I wonder if it was one of those loans with an obligation to buy that oh. Iriola couldn't have done anything about it. Anyway, I, okay. I thought he looked like a baller. Chelsea have lost five of their last six away games in the Premier League, Charlie. However, their one victory in that run was away to Bournemouth. There you go. Alrighty. Natalie, do you want to say anything? Or would you rather comment on Newcastle, who were down in 14th, looking to end a three-game losing streak, at home to Brentford? Yeah, that's going to be interesting run of fixtures for Newcastle finally mm. because they, they had a tough start their fixture list they, they had this amazing start against Villa uh-huh. and then they had City, Liverpool and Brighton right do you and not see Brentford being it is yeah. but yes no it is a tricky mm-hmm. game but I think it's the type of game that Newcastle can show what we all are expecting from them uh, this season. So their run now is is much better. It's Brentford, which is a tough game, but compared to, to their start. Sheffield United, West Ham, another tough game. Palace and Wolves. So this is the, the fixture list until the end of October. So maybe now we'll get to see a bit more of Newcastle 
uh, the way that we expected and and especially how what Eddie Howe is going to do about his striking options because Callum Wilson and Isaac they're both really good options but Isaac hasn't been scoring that much Callum Wilson has and you know I feel like we're still waiting for Bruno to come to the party this this season as well no it doesn't look like quite I mean maybe Tonali is sort of you know eating his chips yeah that's true and he's close to renewing like a seagull who has been coming to the scoring party or uh, as you put it, is uh, Brian <laughs> Bueno with seven goals in his last seven in the Premier League. And he also opened the scoring for Cameroon. He did. Against Burundi on Tuesday. So, woof. With Newcastle as well, they got 15 clean sheets last season. Yeah. They were about second, I think, only to Willie to Man United. Um, they haven't kept a clean sheet this year. So, waiting for that defence to kind of shore up as well. Wow. That game's going to be 5.30 on Saturday. Uh, Saturday at three o'clock, two teams that we never seem to give much attention to. And the show, Villa and Palace. And then on Monday night, it's Nottingham Forest against so Burnley. <laughs> Can I say so something about Villa? <laughs> Can I come for the rescue? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, sort of against policy, but yeah, if you, if you must. I was kind of disappointed the way Villa, the way Villa lost to Liverpool. Not losing to Liverpool uh, at, at Anfield. But the way, because there are things, there are interesting things happening at Villa this mm-hmm. season. Good signings and they're playing European football as well now this season. And especially on defense, they have Diego Carlos back from injury since the, the end of last season. But now playing alongside Paul Torres, which is a defender that I, I really like to, to watch because he can progress well with the ball, help with the build-up. So there are a few interesting things happening at Villa. This is why I was kind of disappointed with the way they lost to Liverpool. It's not absurd to, to lose to Liverpool at Anfield, of course. But may, and, When you and say I the way, was it the naivety, do you think, of the... I think uh, I, I was expecting or? them to be not so passive, maybe. Okay. Of course, Liverpool really showed their game, but I'm expecting more personality from from Villa and, and from, from Unai because I really like his, his work. On the other hand, you have Crystal Palace who has been scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. So it should be an interesting fixture. Okay, Palace, who do like to have a shot or two. Only Brighton and Spurs have made more shots in the Premier League this season. Uh, Forrest Burnley is on Monday night. Reese Cooper, if you're still listening, uh, Reese Cooper asking Natalie how does she feel about the influx of South Americans at Forest and who will be the standouts? Says Reese, is Murillo ready for the Premier League straight away and is Dominguez a perfect fit for the physicality of the league? How familiar are you with Murillo and Dominguez? Uh, with Dominguez, a little. Uh-huh. I think he's uh, a good fit in terms of physicality. Murillo played for Corinthians, my okay. team back mm. in Brazil. So uh, he's still very young, okay? He's not super young. He's 21, but he doesn't have that much experience playing professionally. He made his debut for Corinthians professionally this year. Oh, Yes, so so he's not very experienced, but at the same time he's very physical and he can uh, play really well from from the back. But I think it's gonna take time. I think we have to be patient with with Murilo, our boy. Excellent. Oh, and his story is really nice because he's a big Corinthians fan and he played for Corinthians. His father was a, a big Corinthians fan as well. And his dream was to see Murillo playing for Corinthians, but he died when Murillo was ten. And actually, that was the year that uh, Corinthians 
won Libertadores in 2012, finally, because it was a long, long wait for us. And Murilo was born uh, exactly 10 years before. So he was 10. He, it was his birthday, his 10-year-old birthday, when Corinthians won Libertadores in 2012. Wow. Yeah, which is really nice. And he's a defender, so mm. he, he's big. He's physical, but take it easy on him. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> Very nice. Well, that kind of sets us up for Premier League match day five. Of course, we'll be back uh, Sunday night, Monday morning with our thoughts on how the games actually turn out. But for now, it's many, many thanks to you, Natalie, for being with us. Benji, Charlie, producer Charlie, Rachel putting this out on our YouTube channel. And you, listener, have yourself a great weekend and we'll catch up with you next week. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.